Hi, my name is Aisha Zengin and welcome back to another episode of Bone Group Banter. As always, we're here to discuss, debate and share all things musculoskeletal. Let's see what's making research news this week. So our first headline is from Nature, titled Faster, Better, Cheaper, The Rise of CRISPR in Disease Detection. Powerful gene editing tools could help to diagnose illnesses such as Lassa fever, early and rain in the spread of infection. An epidemic of Lassa fever in Nigeria that has killed 69 people this year is on track to be the worst ever recorded anywhere. Now, in the hope of reducing deaths from Lassa in years to come, researchers in Nigeria are trying out a new diagnostic, diagnostic test based on the gene editing tool called CRISPR. The test relies on CRISPR's ability to hunt down genetic snippets, in this case, RNA from the Lassa virus that it has been programmed to find. If the approach is successful, it could help to catch a wide range of viral infections early so that treatments can be more effective and health workers can curb the, the spread of infection. Now, that seems like it's going to be very useful, exciting stuff happening in Nigeria. Our next headline is from Science Magazine. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's called, Who Sniffs the Sniffers? Electronic nose takes a whiff of dogs to spot deadly disease. Now, this is interesting, so listen up. Dogs are champs at smelling, a quality that has been harnessed to sniff out minds and may one day be used to diagnose cancer. But now, it's an electronic nose's turn to sniff the pooches. The reason? Visceral leash maniasis. A disease spread by the sandfly parasite that can cause weight loss, enlarged organs and fever in people and weight loss, diarrhoea and skin problems in dogs. The number of human cases has doubled in Brazil since 1990, causing several thousand deaths a year. Now, public health officials use a time-consuming two-part test to identify infected dogs as part of their effort to reduce parasite populations. To see whether an e-nose would work, would work better, researchers collected blood and hair samples from 16 dogs known to carry the parasite and 185 other dogs. Hair from infected dogs smells different from the hair of uninfected dogs. The handheld device contains sensors that send different electrical signals depending on the chemical compositions of odours. Water-filled bags of hair were heated and then samples of the air in the bag were blown across the e-nose. The e-nose picked up leash maniasis infections 95% of the time. The team reported last week in a preprint on BioRxiv. Further tests and a sturdier, more customised e-nose are needed, though, before e-nose takes to the streets as a tool for curbing the number of infected dogs and reducing infections in, peoples, in people, the researchers note. But if it can work on dogs, it can also work to quickly detect infections in humans, they predict. I think there's exciting things coming up for e-nose in the future. But let's turn to today's episode where I'm joined again by the lovely Dr. Eleanor Thong. Welcome, Eleanor. Thank you for having me. Who will be talking to us about how celiac disease affects bone mineral density. So as I said, welcome back, Elle. Um, could you please tell us what celiac disease is? So um, celiac disease is an autoimmune condition where affected people have an immune reaction to gluten 
And gluten's a protein that's found in wheat, rye, and oats. And what happens is this can cause um, an, infl an inflammatory attack in the lining of the small bowel, which can make absorption of food nutrients difficult for the people who have celiac disease. So you mentioned that um, it's, it's mainly food uh, that contain gluten that cause this response. Could you, tell, uh, could you give us some examples of what gluten-containing food so as I said, um, they're, they're found in, in wheat, in rye and in oats. So most um, common uh, household food products that you might have, such as bread and, and noodles, um, contain gluten. So people with celiac disease need to um, make sure they um, avoid gluten-containing products. Okay, lovely. So do we know why some people get it and others don't? Like who is most at risk? That's a good question, Aisha. Um, so um, we know that in Australia, one in 70 people have celiac disease, but we think that the actual number is much higher because there are quite a number of people who have the disease but don't know it yet. It tends to be much more common in individuals with other autoimmune disease, such as individuals with Hashimoto's disease or type 1 diabetes. Um, the incidence rate is about 3 to 16% in these individuals. Um, there are blood tests that we can do to determine um, the risk of developing celiac disease and um, there has been a gene known as HLA-DQ2 and DQ8 that can um, indicate that someone who tests positive for the gene will have at least a 90% chance of getting celiac disease. So traditionally, just in terms of diagnosis, as you just touched on just briefly, um, traditionally, um, my impression was that people would go get a camera, put down their colon, and then biopsies would be taken, and then those biopsies would be tested, um, and then that's how you would determine whether or not you had celiac. So now, is this the case where you can just um, be confirmed as a celiac disease patient just by getting blood tested? Is that what you're saying? No, so unfortunately, um, the gold standard diagnosis for celiac disease is always, um, as you said, by um, on a biopsy, and this has to be done via colonoscopy or a camera through the back passage. And it is true that now we have blood tests that are making this less invasive, but um, celiac disease is still a histological diagnosis, meaning that we need to look at the small bowel cells to be able to make that diagnosis. Yeah, to have a look under the microscope. Okay, um, so what are the symptoms then? How would what would be the best? Um, what would be the signs to look out for for people to then go to their doctor to um, go get diagnosed for celiac disease? Yeah, so celiac disease it can actually manifest in in several forms. The most common um, form is where people develop abdominal symptoms, so they may get some stomach aches or or cramps. Um, they may have diarrhea or develop constipation. But there are other symptoms that can be quite vague. For example, they can present with fatigue or, or tiredness. They can um, stop having menstrual periods in women or they can also present with fractures and muscle aches and pains. Okay. So taking all this, can it, can it be cured? Can celiac disease be cured? Well, I wouldn't really sort of use the term cure because um, people with celiac disease have a lifelong sensitivity to gluten. So the, the, the treatment for this is to avoid gluten. And, and what we do with um, individuals with celiac disease is we tell them to go on a strict gluten-free diet. Um, and by avoiding gluten, this will stop the inflammation in the small bowel and allow the lining to heal. 
Okay, and I guess I guess living in Australia, we're quite lucky now that um, gluten-free products are now widely available just at the local grocery store as well. So it's become a lot easier. Although it is a chronic condition, and I'm sure it's quite painful and terrible, but it's become a lot easier for these people to go out and um, be remain on a gluten-free diet. Absolutely, and I think um, it's also to do with the awareness of celiac disease in the population and and people being more accepting of um, individuals who need to go on a gluten-free diet and it's just great that we have a wide range of gluten-free products now in the supermarkets as compared to a decade ago where not a lot of people actually knew what celiac disease was. Okay Um, now given that this is a a bone podcast so could you tell me what the relationship between um, celiac disease and uh, bone health is because normally um, it would be that there's malabsorption of calcium or something more traditional like that that is a bit obvious that will affect um, the skeleton. So could you tell us a bit about um, the relationship between celiac disease and how it affects the skeleton? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, the most common form of, um, well, bone loss is due to the fact that malabsorption in celiac disease prevents people from absorbing calcium. Um, But I think that there are potentially several other mechanisms by which celiac disease can have a negative effect on bone. Um, One of these is because celiac disease causes long-term inflammation. And it may be that um, with inflammation in celiac disease, this could also affect or impair the ability of, of bone cells to make new bone. The other way that celiac disease can affect Um, Bone health is that it can cause loss of periods in in women and prevent them from making estrogen. And as we know, estrogen is a female hormone that is um, needed to build bone. And without this, um, bone health can can suffer. And so I think it's really a combination of multiple mechanisms from celiac disease um, that can actually cause adverse effects on bone. Okay, so in terms of... um the the bone health of celiac disease patients is there a screening process like a routine screening process to get um, a bone scan so then their bone health is also um, monitored throughout the life course like what's what's happening there well yeah so celiac disease is um, recognized as a cause of secondary osteoporosis and in australia just wait what do you mean by secondary osteoporosis so secondary osteoporosis is um, a form of of low a condition of low bone mass that can be caused by a secondary condition outside of um, aging or, or menopause okay so um, in Australia, we're, we're lucky that um, we have subsidies for individuals who have celiac disease. So they, um, it is recommended that they have a bone density scan at diagnosis because bone loss can already happen um, even at diagnosis. And after treatment, it is also recommended that individuals with celiac disease will need um, frequent bone mineral density scans to make sure that they're bone density is improving on a gluten-free diet and not declining. Okay and on top of screening so then there's we've we've spoken about um, the bone the bone uh, or the osteoporosis drugs are these um, patients uh, is it recommended to put them on these bone drugs bone drugs as well like what's happening there? Yeah, look, um, so with celiac disease, we know that the best way of treatment is really just to go on a gluten-free diet. And most people do actually have 
um, an improvement in their bone mineral density within the first few years of commencing a gluten-free diet. Um, however, we, you know, there might be some people who still continue to have low bone density despite adherence to this gluten-free diet. And so I, I think it'd be appropriate to put them on, on treatment, um, similar to other types of osteoporosis with anti-resorptive therapies um, to help prevent fractures. Okay. And in terms of fractures, um, is there a higher fracture rate in celiac disease patients? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. I, I don't know that it has been really well studied, but I, I do know from my experience with um, looking at people with type 1 diabetes and celiac disease that they do actually have increased risk of fracture. And um, I would think that in untreated celiac disease, the fracture risk in these individuals would be much higher than compared to the general population. So you just mentioned the type 1 diabetes um, patients and um, presumably there's a high prevalence of celiac disease in type 1 diabetics. So would there be like a double whammy kind of thing um, where if you have type 1 diabetes, we know because we've spoken about it with you previously that there is an increased risk of fracture. So then if you're a type 1 diabetic and also have celiac disease, does your... Um, your risk of fracture like increase even more? Yeah, potentially. So, um, you know, that's something that we still don't know the answer to. But I would presume that, you know, they, they do have two different causes of, of osteoporosis. And I, I suspect that they might well have an increased risk. And it's really important that um, clinicians who look after people with type 1 diabetes screen for celiac disease because it's so common in this cohort. And, and if they do have celiac disease, they should have a bone mineral density scan and be compliant with a, a gluten-free diet. Oh, wow. Well, that's that That was really interesting, Eleanor. Thank you so much for telling us about celiac disease and how it affects um, the skeleton. So in summary, we've learned what celiac disease is and um, that certain people are at more risk of um, developing um, negative effects on bone with this condition and that um, screening is your best bet in terms of bone mineral density um, to, to ensure that you have um, the best uh, optimum bone health throughout this um, chronic condition. So that's all we have time for today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and get in touch via Twitter or email if you have any questions. Thanks for your time and see you next week. Bye. Bye.